Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The post-fight victory horns are sounding, and they are sounding for one Sugar Sean O'Malley, the new UFC Bantamweight Champion of the world. It's official. We can say it. Welcome to the Sugar Show, everybody, and welcome to the UFC 292 post-fight show. We are live here on the MMA Fighting YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us. It is Right now, 3.13 a.m. on the East Coast, but the vibes are high as they have been all week. New champion in the Bantamweight division, Zhang Wei Li, with a record-breaking dominant decision win in the co-main event to retain the Strawway title. Ian Machado Gary, dominant win. We'll talk about that and more. I am Mike Heck, and joining me to talk all about it is a man you saw on the watch party, a man who is with us watching Sean O'Malley knock out Aljamain Sterling live. He is the one and only Mr. Hot Take, Mr. No Gray Area, Jed Mishu. Jed, how are you, sir? I mean, I'm a changed man, Mike, because I now am living in the sugar era. It's so sweet. It's so sweet, Mike. Woo. Yes. What well, a I great mean, end to an event that was, was, let's be honest, I enjoyed it. It was not a bad event, but it was, it was lagging a little, and then... Sean O'Malley just rewrites the rules to the game, baby. And now we got something to talk about for real. We certainly do. And again, like I said, you were live with me as this is all going down with GC. Sean O'Malley sniped him just like he said he was going to do all week. I'm going to snipe him. I'm going to find his chin at some point. He makes a mistake. I'm going to find his chin. And he did it. Sean O'Malley is the Bantamweight champion of the world, Jed Mishu. This just happened a couple of hours ago. Has it really sunk in here? that Sean O'Malley did what a lot of people thought he wouldn't do outside of a, a value betting perspective, unless you were walking around Boston because everybody thought Sean O'Malley was going to win in Boston. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone thought that this could happen. I don't think many people predicted it. Certainly. I think the smart money and the smart thought was that Aljo has a lot of advantages. Like, all of the on paper, and I said it, uh, various pre-show stuff and, and even on the watch party, all the on paper stuff was in Aljo's favor, but there were vibes. There was this idea um, that, you know, maybe O'Malley has a touch of the McGregor in him. This ability to sort of make unlikely outcomes occur in, in the best, you know, possible universe for him. And it happened eerily close to the McGregor Aldo finish, frankly. Um, him doing that over a guy colloquially known as Aljo is certainly something. And, you know, 
history may not repeat itself, but it appears to have rhymed in this instance. And so not like shocking that this happened. I'm not like, I can't believe what occurred, but uh, it was, it was very cool to see happen and sort of where we're going to go from here. The, the Bantamweight division is never going to be the same. Uh, and it might not be for better, frankly, but I am very interested to see kind of how this, how this rope plays out moving forward. Yeah, I, I think at this point, at least during this reign, the Bantamweight division will very rarely be like a co-main event division like it has Never. been for so long. But Sean O'Malley is the champion and things are going to change very quickly. He obviously called out Cheeto Vera, something he's been calling for the whole time. And then he called out Gervonta Davis. You knew that was coming. It happened like within three minutes. of his I did not. I did not know that was coming. Uh, and that's on me. Hand up. I was dumb. I should have known that was coming, but... The speed with which it pivoted to, I guess I'll fight Cheeto because like people kind of want to see that one, but I don't want to. I don't want to give the business to the rest of these dudes because they're not big business. Let's fight Javante was lightning fast. Yeah, it just seems it seems like this. We were heading in this direction. Marlon Vera just needed to do his job. He did it against Pedro Munoz. This is where we're going. Like Sean O'Malley wants December. It seems like Cheeto Vera and his team are already planning on December. I saw a post from his manager saying, thank you for an epic week in Boston. We'll see you in December. This is the fight, right? Like Aljamain wants a rematch. I don't think there's any chance he gets it, even though he deserves it. But he's, but we don't use the word deserves because it doesn't really work in the UFC and in the sport in general. But we are getting Sean O'Malley, Marlon Vera too for the Bantamweight title. And this is the biggest fight you can make. This is the biggest fight in the history of the division. Oh, easily. I think there was a very good argument uh, that like a year ago, that rematch was the biggest fight in the division from a numbers standpoint. Um, they're, they're the two biggest stars in the division. Uh, after tonight, O'Malley is the number two star in MMA. Like I feel really confident and comfortable calling Sean O'Malley the number two biggest star in, in MMA and arguably number one, depending on your views on if Connor still intends to ever fight again. So uh, yeah. It's unquestionably the biggest fight in the history of this division. It's the biggest fight that can be made in the sport right now, probably. Um, maybe you could do something with Connor um, and somebody else, but I don't. I think that this fight will do better numbers than Connor versus Chandler will, and I think Connor versus Chandler will do just fine because it's still Connor. But you got to have some a real foil, and that's I think that's what Cheeto's bringing here. So. Yeah, I'd be pretty surprised at this point if that's not uh, 296 December in, in Las Vegas, the the headliner. And it's never going to, like you said, Sean O'Malley is never going to not fight in the main event of a pay-per-view from this point forward. That That is just not his lot in life at this moment in time because the UFC is never going to put him on a card with Connor, who's the only dude who could take that spot from him at the moment. And from a, from a box office perspective, from a business perspective, and let's be honest, from an intrigue perspective, because Sean O'Malley has captivated and captured a lot of the casual viewing audience, it is obviously going to be a very interesting, however long, apparently, according to Sean O'Malley, this is going to be a very interesting 12 years, because he's going to be doing this until 2035, apparently. He's going to have a 12-year run, and if he's able to do that, at this point, I'm just going to believe everything he says. And as interesting as this division is going to be moving forward with Sean O'Malley at the helm, I think the more interesting short-term question coming out of this fight is not where Sean O'Malley goes, it's where Aljamain Sterling goes because he was very forthright, he was very honest with his assessment of the fight and where his future is because if Sean O'Malley is knocking him out in the second round like that, 
he doesn't like his chances very much about going up to 145 and fighting Alexander Volkanovsky. And that idea is probably completely off the table. I don't know if that fight ever happens unless Volkanovsky just shouts for it and gets it. It's probably done. So where does Aljamain Sterling go from here? Does he even attempt to go up to 45 and, and just try to earn a spot? Like, do you go up there and you try to fight the Ilya Taporias? We know Taporias is about to get a title shot, but the Taporias, the Evloyevs, the, those types of fighters. Like, is this his future right now? Just go up there and try to pick apart one of these top five, top seven guys in hopes that you can intrigue Volkanovsky into fighting you? Or is he staying at 135 in hopes of trying to get a rematch that if you watch the post-fight press conference, Sean O'Malley does not seem interested in that at all. Where does he go from here? Because that might be the more interesting question in the short term. Sean O'Malley is never fighting this dude again. He's going up to 145. He, he'll take some time on him and Haw. That's why I didn't really like his post-fight speech in the Octagon. Um, it was very honest, and so full credit to him for that. But it's one of those things that I think he's going to wish he could take back just for saying it out loud of, uh, you know, I don't like my chances. Well, sure, you're not going to fight Volkanovsky now. Like, you no, you don't get to lose, go up, and fight for the belt. That's not how that works. So, Volk isn't really even in consideration at this at the moment. You're, the question for him is fundamentally, do I stick around here in a weight class where my best friend and training partner, I've already pres- essentially told him, hey, I'm going to get out of the way so you can run this. Um, and he's probably even ahead of me in title shot line right now just because Sean O'Malley, I think, is more likely to say yes to Marab than to Aljo a second time. Uh, but it's just not going to work for him. He's going to look at him and be like, no, I'd have to fight a bunch of dudes I've already fought or I don't really want to do again. And that's to entice O'Malley to get a rematch that he's not going to say yes to. So maybe he could hang around in case Cheeto wins and he could slide in there for, you know, to beat Cheeto or whatever. But I think the much simpler thing is just go up because I, I think he'll do quite fine at 145. He might not beat Volkanovski. Hey, man, I got a secret. Nobody else at 145 has been beating that dude for like four years. So you're not alone <laughs> that like you can go fight, but you can get up. You move up. He goes up and let's say he fights Josh Emmett. I don't know what Josh Emmett's career plans are, but you know, he gets a fight like that and performs really well. Then there's a very easy narrative. He was cutting too much weight. It was too hard for 135. He is so much better suited to this weight class. He's still strong and big, but he's got some more speed here. It's going to be great. So I think he's just moving up to 145. It's the most logical move forward for him. So I think that that's what we're going to get next for him. Last thing before we move on to what Zhang Wei Li did, and obviously there's going to be much more talk about this for a long time because this is one of those moments that's just going to stick with us. It's going to be in highlight packages. Baba O'Reilly, That's that knockout punch is going to be there forever. We talked about this Bantamweight division a lot heading into this fight and where it all goes. And we know Marlon Vera is probably getting the next shot, but we have Marab. We have Corey Sandhagen. We have, even though you don't like to admit it because we don't really know what he's doing right now, we have Henry Cejudo, and then we have this flux of this influx of like other contenders on the rise right now. Who is the biggest loser in this fight? And I'm not talking about Aljamain Sterling. I'm talking about of the guys who are <laughs> vying for that title opportunity. How much did Marab lose tonight? Because there is a story there, and it's a fascinating one. But with all the names that Sean O'Malley was presented, or all the names that came out of his mouth, Marab DeWallace Willie was not one of them. 
I I alluded to this earlier. I think Bantamweight is about to be awful. Um, and that's going to really break the hearts of a lot of the hipsters who are under the um, false narrative that this is the best division of the sport. It's a very, very good division. Um, the only reason that narrative started to thrive is because Connor broke lightweight. Like Connor just stealing the lightweight belt and then being a lunatic and just broke lightweight for a very long time. And it's still suffering some of those effects, frankly. I think there's a pretty good shot here that um, – that our new champion is going to break Bantamweight. He's going to fight Cheeto, and if he beats Cheeto, he pretty much explicitly said that he doesn't give a shit about fighting anybody else in this weight class. Um, hey, why are you so interested in Trevante Davis? Uh, because he's a star, and there's nobody else, there's nobody in the Bantamweight division that's a star. There's there's Cheeto, and that's it. Um, so I, I, maybe the UFC decides to be a little heavy-handed with him and make him defend a belt, but if he's as big a star coming off of this as I think he is probably going to be, uh, I, I'm not sure that they force his hand. And so then it's, I would say Marab is sort of the front runner like right now, but I think that everybody in this weight class other than Cheeto Vera is moved one more fight away from fighting for the title. Wherever they were previously in line, you probably just add one more fight to it because I think we're we're in in for a bit of a stalemate at the top here, and maybe some interim titles coming down the line because that might be a way to entice him if you can put an interim belt on somebody else. Yeah, the the intercontinental division, as I've always called it, with bantamweight, is now going to become a prize fighting division yeah. with Sean O'Malley as the champion. Corey Sanhagen may actually have come out of this okay because maybe Corey Sanhagen, when he comes back, gets to fight like Marab for an interim title instead of having to fight Umar for nothing. <laughs> so, uh, like, I, the only person I can see that, like, if we're going to do Cheeto in December, I suspect we're going to get some layoff after that. And maybe the UFC is going to start hounding around to be like, hey, Umar, how long until you're back healthy? Let's try and fire you up because you could maybe sell a, a Piotr Jan rematch. Like I could see O'Malley accepting Piotr Jan if he can get a couple of dubs in. Maybe, maybe Henry Cejudo, but you know that I don't treat him as a real person. So there's that. <laughs> but I, I think I think he's going to defend against Cheeto, and I think we are not going to see him for maybe a full year. Like he might defend against Cheeto in December, and then it's like I'll wait until July or even the next go around at Madison Square Garden, something like that. Yeah, you're probably right. So it's going to be interesting to see where this division goes, where Aljamain Sterling goes. A lot to kind of digest coming out of this main event. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. 
That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Co-main event, Jen Mishu, Zhang Wei Li. She didn't get the finish, and I think it busted a lot of parlays and a lot of betting slips were ripped up and thrown on the floor. But all in all, this was about as one-sided as you could get. There was a moment where Amanda Lemos slapped on this weird submission sort of ninja choke-esque kind of a thing, and it looked like Zhang might be in a little bit of trouble. At least if you listen to the commentators, they're like, oh, she's turning blue. And other than that, Amanda Lemos had and maybe like one right hand early. She had nothing for Zhang Weili. This was a historic one-sided championship beatdown by Zhang Weili. And even though she didn't get the finish and a lot of people had betting tickets that she would get the finish, boy, is it fun to watch her compete because it's going to be tough to take that title off of her. Yeah, uh, I thought that this fight would look like this, only she'd get the stoppage coming in. I know that uh, Amanda Limos was like a, a darling dog this week. A lot of people were like, yeah, she's... She can do some real violent stuff, and Wiley Zhang's not impervious to getting hit. I was like, sure. Can't be super shocked if it happens, but uh, I watched Wiley Zhang just like throw Jessica Andrade out the cage, and I basically watched Jessica Andrade do the exact same thing to Limo. So I think I know how this is going to work. And it looked like that. Like, uh, I mean, best performance of Wiley's career, I, I would say, uh, all things considered. She has really, like, for when she entered the UFC on that big, big long winning streak like 19 fights or whatever it was she was largely just like an athlete who did a bunch of like was just the best athlete in the division and that was dope and it won her a belt <laughs> frankly by just being the best athlete and then she lost had a couple of setbacks and she's refined her game a lot like she she was really smart in her approach to this fight she minimized any opportunity Limosh had to generate consistent offense got to her spots and just ragdolled Limosh. Like if you look at the stats on this fight, it is unbelievable. It's like 288 to six or something. 296 to 29. Yeah. It's that's those are those cartoon numbers. Like I could go load up EA UFC four right now. And I could not put those numbers on like the easy mode setting. And she did it in an actual world championship fight against a totally viable contender. So, uh, it was an incredible performance from her uh, and shouts to Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier because tonight was a banner night for the, Oh, that, that submission's close. And me being like, Oh good. I know that she is very safe. As, <laughs> as long as they're saying it's close, the safest place you can be like Fort Knox. Uh, I don't know. Probably the white house is like a fairly secure building and locked into a submission that Joe Rogan is squealing about saying that it is close. You could not be more safe than being in those positions. 
Yes. What a performance. And yeah, 296 to, to 28 is or to 29 is ridiculous. And the significant strikes, 163 to 24 for Zhang Weili. I mean, just most significant strikes landed. Biggest strike differential in, in women's UFC history. Dear laughing. I was live blogging this like for the site, right? And I gave, I think I did the first two rounds or 10 nines um, for for Whaley. Um, and then they showed that stat after round two where the stat, like the striking totals live were like, so Amanda Lemos just landed six strikes. And in my live blog, I wrote, here's the stat update. I perhaps should have scored some of these previous rounds, 10 eights. <laughs> like, it was just unbelievable like how nothing was happening from Limoche. It didn't even feel like early on, it didn't even feel like she was that ineffective. But she had nothing to offer. Like nothing. So that brings up the big question here. Yan Zhaonan is right there. And if they go to China, that's obviously a massive fight. And if. in fact, you well, even if they don't, like they could go to Boston and this is a very big fight. They can go to New York and this is a very big fight. They can go anywhere and this is a big fight, but they have to go to China with this one. So Tatiana Suarez kind of lost out here. Did she not? I mean, it's, she's going to get her shot. She's going to get another win. I was, I suggested because I felt like I knew where this fight was going to go. They should have just done Mackenzie Dern versus Tatiana Suarez as a fight night main event. I think that would have been a really good call. But apparently, which flew under everybody's radar, Mackenzie Dern is fighting Jessica Andrade at UFC 295. They showed her on the screen, and there was a graphic, which no one announced Dude. and nobody knew about. So we're it's it's gonna be it's gonna be Zhang Weili versus Zhang Zhanan. That is what's gonna happen. Is Tatiana Suarez just gonna sit around and wait for the winner of that fight, or is she gonna have another fight? What did tonight do to Tatiana Suarez's championship aspirations and how far back is she going to have to wait now? She's probably going to have to wait. A uh, quick shout out to Jessica Andrade, who's trying to speed run the end of career losing streak. It's going to be her fifth fight this year. She lost three in a row and she's going to turn around and fight. Just take it, take some time off. Like You don't have to keep doing this, but uh, Tatiana Suarez is, it makes way more sense for her to fight Mackenzie Dern. Um, than that instead she's probably just gonna sit on the sideline as she was originally booked to fight for Nishinjiroba maybe they I don't know how long Nishinjiroba's out um because I think it was a knee injury but uh maybe they just rebooked that but I would assume that Tatiana Suarez will get to get the honor potentially of weighing in as a backup fighter for the impending uh Whaley versus Jan fight but she ain't jumping the line. Like if Limo should won, we had talked about it. There, there was very much a world where Tatiana just gets to, okay, it's time to do this. This is clearly where this division is going. Let's just get there. But did you hear the the Chinese reporter in the, I don't know if you listen to the post presser, Mike, uh, a, a reporter who I believe was Chinese um, noted to Dana White that on Chinese social media, uh, the knockout or the, the fight from Wiley, had generated 1.9 billion views. So uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say that I would cut off a pinky if the UFC doesn't book Wiley versus Jan and do that in China because why wouldn't they? Give me a reason, any reason yeah. at all. That's if, that's if that fact is true about 1.9 billion with a B – the two of them in China is the the biggest no-brainer in the history of combat. <laughs> like, I don't know what yeah. else to tell you, man. 
I feel like we could maybe get this in before the end of the year. There is rumblings about perhaps a card in China by the end of the year. Maybe they know like kind of hinted at it in the press or two. He didn't yeah. say it because he leaned heavily on the we don't book fights. Someone was like, hey, there are rumors you're thinking about China before the end of the year. And he was like, wink or whatever. So it seems certainly after tonight, uh, it may have been a situation where they were just going to like, let's wait and see about what happens here. But I would say after tonight, uh, that's going to get a full court press. I, I honestly, if, if we're talking about futures and fights, the Zhang Wei, the eventual Zhang Wei Li Tatiana Suarez fight is going to be incredibly fascinating. I am very much looking forward to that matchup uh, when it I does mean, happen. Tatiana's, Tatiana's going to run her, but it's going to be dope. It's going to be interesting to see. That's a, a really, really good fight, and I'm highly intrigued by it. Ian Machado Gary, Jed Mishu, goes out there and just lays waste to, to Neil Magny, who is just incredibly tough. I, I thought there are multiple points in this fight where Ian was just going to kick him in the leg, and the leg was going to give out, and the referee is just going to save him from himself. But Magny makes it to the cards. Ian Machado Gary on one of the judges' cards, three 10 8s. Incredible performance. This is as one-sided as it could get. This is about as good as it could be for Ian Machado Gary outside of getting a quick finish, but he calls out Wonderboy Thompson. Apparently Dana White said they already reached out to Steven about doing that fight and he turned it down. I don't know if he's going to be able to turn this one down, dude. Honestly, I feel like cooler heads are going to prevail and I think Steven's just going to have to take this fight if he wants to get to this title run because I think the fights that he wants, the UFC just isn't going to give him right now. So biggest takeaway from Ian Machado, Gary's performance and his upside at 170, because there are some fun guys moving up the ladder, but I feel like Ian Machado, Gary is, is ahead of all of them right now. That's going to be weird. I do want to talk about wonder boy first, because as good as this performance was from IMG, I think this is going to be the, Broad, a broad narrative perhaps supersede it just because dana throw under the bus isn't the right term um i i don't know like held under the bus while it went over and reversed over like dana just tried to bury wonder boy but be like yeah he passed up the fight i don't know if that's true or not um because i just don't take things dana says at face value um if it is I have no idea what Wonder Boy's doing. Like, yeah, I think you're gonna lose this fight, but like, who are you trying to fight? <laughs> if it's like, if if your goal is to is to fight a tight for a title, you've already lost all the wrestlers in front of you. Like, who and you have explicitly said you don't want to fight them. Who the hell do you want to fight if it's not like somebody like this? So you want I don't know. You want the Usman fight? Okay. Um, well, I don't think. I mean, maybe I don't know. Just say <laughs> yes, dude. It's fine. Uh, I don't think the Usman fight's going to go well for you, and I'm not even sure you're going to get it. So I don't know. Uh, Ian Machado Gary was dope tonight. Um, perfect performance. Uh, maybe not perfect. Uh, 96. He could have finished it. Um, and, uh, Casey and I talked about this in the presser briefly. Like, I know many people won't hold that against him, and I don't really hold it against him, but there is a point for me where when you are fighting against somebody who is no longer capable of defending themselves reasonably, which is where Magny was in that third round pretty much. He was just in full-on survival mode. Um, not putting a coffin nail in is like a missed opportunity, but it's not a bad performance. His performance was obviously sensational, and every other part of it too was what is great. Like He carried himself like a star this whole week, uh, I don't know that he has won yet, 
But my takeaways from this event are I'm an Ian Machado Gary fan now. I think that dude's dope. Um, both the way he fights and the things he says I find enjoyable. And some of it's insane. Like I'm not here to say that all of it's reasonable and I agree with all of his takes. Um, his statement that he was carrying the card pre-fight is insane. Several of his statements afterwards are insane. Um, but he's carrying himself with, with a great confidence that is appealing to me. The way he handles his business is great. And I thought his post-fight was awesome. You know, like he gave Neil Magny his props, but didn't back down at all from the shit he talked about Neil Magny and doubled down on the stuff he said. And that's a fun, like you, you don't have to be like, oh, we're, we're bonded in battle now. So like, we're all gravy. You know, it's like, no, F that dude. He still sucks. You don't say that shit. Um, but respect to him for, you know, knuckling up and fighting me. Like you got to at least give a man respect for doing that, but he still sucks ass. Uh, I loved Ian Machado Gary's performance this whole week. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm super high on him, man. Like I know that JDM is is the the darling delight of the welterweight division. I, Ian Machado Gary is this, this weight class. Is, if, if there's a dude who's going to take the belt from Shavkat when he does get it, Ian Machado Gary is going to be that dude. Yeah, in- incredible performance. The man backed up everything he said. It's going to be interesting if he gets the Wonder Boy fight. Do they just go back to Jeff Neal? I, I don't know if the ship has sailed on that. I would still like to see that fight if it can happen. I think that's a really good like next test because sure. welterweight has a lot of litmus tests. And I feel like Neil Magny is sort of the dude that welcomes you into the top 10 to 12 range. Neil is like, you're, you're a top seven give, guy. Give me Sean Brady. Let me, let me see he, the, he, at the post pressure. IMG was like, I am the best jujitsu player in the world. Y'all don't know it. Cause you've never seen it. like, I'm that's, that's only a loose exaggeration. He was like, if I fight in December, I might F around and then try and try and win a Nogi world championship. Uh, because like I'm telling you guys, I'm that good at grappling. You just don't know because I've never showed it to you. I I would like to see it. If this is true, then I'm I have him very highly ranked in our latest rankings, which I did tonight. Uh, if he is also the greatest grappler to exist on earth, uh, I'm underrating him by a significant margin. I'd like to know it. And Sean Brady gonna tackle that dude's ass. So let's just do that. I want it. The top of this division ain't nothing but dudes who are gonna put you on the mat and check <laughs> and real check you right there. Let's do it. I don't know what Sean Brady's doing. Seems like it'd be a great time for these two guys to fight. If I'm Sean Brady, I am doing nothing but calling this guy out. Yeah. That's all I'm doing. Just yeah, focus all your sure. attention on get, trying to get that fight. I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, if you're Sean Brady and you can get to Ian Machado Gary and force Ian Machado Shavka, Gary man. to talk about you, do it. Dude, Shavka was about to fight Kelvin Gastelum for God knows what reason. Like, Just fight Ian Machado Gary now. Ooh. That's that's a better win for you in the division and in MMA. Let's do that. Like, if I'm any dude who knows I have to fight backwards next fight, uh, and I'm at the top of this weight class, and that's not I'm not saying that because that's an easy win. I'm just saying it because like that's that's gonna give you the most bang for your buck if you can do it. And as as Casey and you have as you said a lot uh, about Hamzat, I think it was Hamzat, fight the dude now. <laughs> Because he's 26, man. He ain't getting worse over the next five years. Fight him now. <laughs> yeah, that would be super interesting if Ian started calling him out. So good win for him. Good win for Mario Batista. He gets it done. We talked about Marlon Vera, where he goes. He earned himself a title <laughs> shot with his victory. <laughs> what are you laughing at? 
Eh, Mario Batista still won a fight on the main card. And Cheeto Vera. Let's talk about the thing that matters. I just love the that that fight happening on this card is so freaking weird. Yeah, yeah I think right. it, it when fight. we go back it and occurred. watch it. Yeah, if we yeah, I think if we go back and watch it, and I'm not trying to disrespect Mario Batista. Dude got out there, he still took the fight, fight after losing Cody Garbrandt, and he won. And he got in there and won, and won yeah. the fight. But is it one where we're gonna it, it was a like, fine I, fight? Like, it wasn't if you look back on this event, you're going to remember the Chris Wyden, Brad Tavares fight. You're not going to remember this fight that happened. <laughs> yes. And you segued perfectly because before we get to the peeps, I do want to talk about what happened in that fight. Because we started the watch party right before round two was going to start in the Chris Wyman Brad Tavares fight. So we got to watch it and Brad just kept nailing him with leg kicks. There was a point in the second round where I thought he broke his leg again. I was like, oh no. He went down he started limping on it and... Oh. It just got well, bad. Well, he may man. have torn. I, he may have torn his MCL. Did you? I don't know if you caught that at the presser. I don't know what you caught from the presser. Um, so uh, Aljo said, and you know, not a doctor, and it's not there. But Aljo was asked about it, and uh, I believe he loose uh, said that like there's concern that he injured it, and then Dana, I think, specifically said that. Uh, taught, like he was asked about the Wyman fight, and he was like, "I would like Wyman to retire." Um, they think he tore his MCL in the fight. Like, so he's, so he's out for a while anyway, because he now has on the other leg, not on the previously sur like surgery one, but I believe the leg that was getting kicked a bunch lead leg. Theoretically, he has suffered actually like legitimate knee damage. So, oh. um, Casey, Casey, you laughed at me in the pre fight Q and a, when I was like, I'm concerned about this man's leg. And you were like, it's like, it's fine. I was half right. It was the wrong leg. I should have been concerned about the other leg. I said on the preview show that honestly, like, like, and I know Chris Weidman is a very, is very hungry and he's very competitive and he wanted this fight to be the beginning of a title run. And I think a lot of people roll their eyes with that, but Chris was very serious about that. And the argument I made on the preview show that the best case scenario, the best thing that could happen for, for Weidman, for Tavares, for everybody else who loves Chris Weidman and loves what he was able to do in his career was that Weidman would, would lose a, somewhat competitive decision and then just be done because you came back dude you came back after all of that right you go in there your leg is compromised in the fight you still fight back you still land some shots you got Tavares kind of reeling at a point or two in that fight with some of the, the shots that you landed you lose a competitive decision what a perfect time to walk away like no one's going to be down on you for that I just think the title run hopes are over. You, you, you did something a lot of people believed you may never do again. There were talks. You might just lose your leg altogether because of this injury, but you made it back. You competed like a freaking champion. You didn't win, but you competed. And I felt like this was the best case scenario for everybody involved. And it played out that way. So I guess I'll ask you this, and it's kind of a bummer to, to say, but I think it's a conversation needs to be had, especially after what Dana said. Was this the last Chris Weidman fight? I mean, there's a really good chance it was the last Chris Weidman fight in the UFC. Um, I think we talk about this all the time. If you just blanketly assume that no fighter is going to retire, you're going to be right far more often than you're going to be wrong. Um, if he did, in fact, tear his MCL or, or – you know, any, any other ligament going on in there and is looking at 
six months, another year on the sidelines for surgery rehabilitation. And now he is two legs down or two legs with 50 combined surgeries or whatever it is, something, some insane number between them. I think there's a very good chance that he just kind of goes home, looks and says, no, um, I came back from the big one, like you were saying, and that that's enough. Uh, I'd be a bit surprised though. I, I do think he's going to want an exit. Um, he's just going to want that real, the, the moment if, if not to come back. So, uh, if I'm putting money down, I think we will see Chris Weidman fight at least one more time. I am personally, I think it's time, Mike. I know that he's not currently in the organization, but we can mend these fences. Let's just rock it back in, in a year and a half, Luke Rockhold. Let's just do it. Yes. That was supposed to be the rivalry that was going to define middleweight for like the next generation. And then they fought the one time. It was awesome. And then they never fought again. And now both dudes got washed almost overnight. And now here we are. When Chris is ready to come back, let's just sign sign Luke for one more. Luke has specifically said that he like doesn't want to end his combat sports career off that bare knuckle fight with Mike Perry. So come back home. Let's run that back. Uh, it'll be something. And it's a good retirement fight for both dudes. Run it back as a retirement fight. It's ideal. I love that idea. I think that's the only fight that would make sense for Chris at this point. Greg Rodriguez, kind of some controversy with the finish of Dennis Tolulin. We'll see how that no plays out. No? no controversy. It's cool. Okay. The rule right. of cool applies. That was dope. So I don't care that it was arguably legal. Also, if you don't want to get punched in the back of the head, uh, don't present the back of your head to get punched. That's long my official stat, uh, standpoint on this. I think it's a dumb rule. Um, so don't don't do it. Welcome back to the UFC. Kurt Holobo gets his first official UFC win. Triangle choke against Austin Hubbard. Kurt Holobo will continue on. Called out Patty Pimblett. He became the 71st lightweight currently on the active roster to call out Patty Pimblett. So, I mean, go for the gusto. Brad Catone and Cody Gibson put on a friggin' show. What a friggin' fight that was. Uh, Catone Cody gets Gibson the contract. getting a contract. Is that what Dana said? Yeah, well, he didn't say those words, but someone asked him, is it safe to assume that, like, uh, with, you know, Stefan Bonner, Cody Gibson, and he was like, yeah. All right, so. good. Much deserved. Uh, Andre Petrovsky, mm -hmm. Gerald Mearshart. It was the most fun middleweighty middleweight fight I've probably ever seen. Uh, but Petrovsky wins the splitty. Natty Ice is just something special. She beat the hell out of Andrea Lee. That fight was not really all that competitive. And then Karina Silva submits Marina Morose. Gets a little revenge from their fight from several years back. But Natty Iceman, before you Easy get to the questions, it. I got to talk about her. Yeah, got to talk about her. She's so good. I ranked her. She is now going to be in my flyweight rankings. I think I have her at like number 12 after that performance against Andrea Lee. I am super excited to see where she goes, Jed. I love this. Uh, I I went for it. I ranked them both. Both of the Silvas are in my flyweight rankings, baby. Let's go. Nice. Um, Natty Ice is higher than Karina Silva, but the bottom of the rankings, there's a lot of opportunity for someone to slide it there. And why not? Um, Karina Silva. Look, Natty Ice beat the hell out of uh, KGB Lee, and that was dope. But uh, Karina Silva, frankly, impressed me more. Because we sort of anticipated this, what Natty Ice was going to do. And our conversation, you and I had the conversation beforehand that Karina Silva is the one that she already lost to Moroz. Moroz is sneaky like a hitter. Like she she is sneaky, a 
very competitive, very tough out in this division. And Granny Silver whooped her and, and tapped her. Um, right at, with the buzzer beater tap, too. I love those. So uh, I was even more impressed by Karini Silva because she exceeded expectations, whereas Natty Ice is just like, all right, it, it's time for her to start making real moves here and and see what we've got on our hands with her. But, yeah. Um, look, the prelims are fun, man. Really fun card. They were really good. Mm-hmm. Really, really I got good. All right. No issues. And that's it was awesome. Yeah. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. All right, let's bring in E. Casey Lydon, and we'll take a few questions before we get out of here. It is pretty late, so we're not going to take a whole bunch of questions, but we'll take a few. Mike, I didn't ask you this when I was on the thing. My our first question is going to be for me to you, Mike. Uh, how do we feel about Cheeto not getting a mic on him uh, after beating Pedro Munoz? It's a missed opportunity. Like your, your promotional packages, like you got enough there. Like I get it. You just go back to that first fight and how it played out and some of the things that were said and whatever. But you 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 miss an opportunity here. You certainly miss an opportunity not giving Cheeto the mic. Cheeto was. <laughs> Yeah, Cheeto was probably the fourth most popular fighter on the entire card. Uh, I think Zhang Weili was probably number two. Uh, just dude, based she got on such being a there. pop. Yeah, dude. Chris and Chris Weidman was very popular because of the story and the comeback. And then uh, Vera is like right there, like super over with Boston. So I kind of expected him to get a microphone in his hand, and that uh, it, it, he's so incredible watching this guy because. It, he never looks like he's even in a fight when it's over. This one, like he had some sweat in his, like his beautifully done hair had like some sweaty bangs, like three or four of them. And that's like the most you've seen Cheeto Vera, like per, perspire in a fight in like five years. It's insane. Yeah. And that fight was fun as hell. Pedro Munoz always comes. Always yeah, comes to I, I thought he I had a, I thought, I thought an argument won. to win the fight. I did. I, uh, I did not think Pedro won, but I thought that there's a very there's a reasonable argument that he won. Uh, if you want to give him the first two rounds, yeah. I don't have any issues with that. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Well, Cheeto won by pride rules. We'll go with that. I gave Cheeto the first. I gave Pedro the second. Yeah. Um, I I also made decisions about Cheeto won by seventy five percent of media had Cheeto winning, and actually surprisingly, sixty percent of fans. I'm sorry, Pedro winning. And sixty percent of fans also had Pedro winning, which is surprising. But wow, it was interesting. A, it, it was a close. Pedro fight, kicked man. the legs a whole bunch, and leg kicks don't win fights. Yes, yep, of course not. However, I do have it on on good authority that Cheeto uh, did some post fight interviews standing because his legs were all jacked up. So yeah, maybe uh, maybe leg kicks do matter, and you should start factoring those into what happened in your scorecards. Oh. <laughs> uh, 
Is Patty Pimblet the only fighter who hasn't called out Patty Pimblet? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> Fantastic work, Steph. Proud of you. <laughs> Steph, that's a great question. Uh, well done. That one. All right. Hey, Missed uh, opportunity for Patty too. Patty could have could have could do it. Anderson called himself out for years. Yeah. Fight my clone. <laughs> um what do we actually think about the stoppage for the main event? A plus. I don't. No notes. I don't think there was really anything bad about it. Me either. I think it was. A, I think it was a perfect stoppage. I will go one beyond. I think it was fantastic. I believe Mark Goddard is the second best referee in MMA. I think Jason Herzog is the best and has been for some time. But Mark Goddard is rarely bad and usually very good. And I thought he nailed it. Um, you can always leave a stoppage one or two punches longer, and I won't be like super upset. Um, and I know that a lot of fighters would prefer that. And you saw some outpouring of that, but by the way you're supposed to stop fights, nailed it. Like he, Aljo got clubbed a bunch. And then the time he turned away, that he, he was no longer rolling in or rolling up. He rolled away. He functionally turned his back. If he was standing against the fence, it was a back turn. Like, yeah. That's it. That's an ideal stoppage. Yeah. Um, yeah. You would, you just, yeah, the way he turtled that direction is just that that that's that's pretty much the fetal position you just you're done mm -hmm. and um if he wanted yeah there's many other ways to get up and defend yourself that's not one of them and uh, i thought goddard goddard is that the ref tonight yeah mm -hmm. yeah i thought and i thought he did he gave the champ the proper amount of time to recover so uh i agree uh, i totally agree i that when that right hand landed i thought he killed him like I thought, the it, way Aljo it did fell, look like he face planted, and but he yeah. didn't. But it looked like it. Yeah, he re he recovered and was able to try to defend. And Sean landed like a bunch of big hammer fists. Mm -hmm. And I think Goddard did a nice job because he could have stopped it after like the third or fourth hammer fist because he was landing them. Mm -hmm. And then Aljo was able to sort of get his wits to him and start to fend. And I think the way Mark looked at it was, I mean, give this dude like one more big shot before I step in there. And then after he sort of turned Aljo over, like kind of threw his legs to the side and he landed that like everything he had right hand it, that just busted open Aljo's eye. Mm -hmm. That was it. Like that was the shot. That was a gnarly punch on the bottom. And I got her mm -hmm. stepped in and stopped it. And I had no issue with the stoppage, especially hearing Aljo sort of talk about it at the end. Like he was, he was, he felt like maybe the stoppage was a little early, but at the same token, he was honest. He was like, I didn't even know where I was. Like, I forgot I was in Massachusetts. I forgot all you this stuff. You dyed your like, freaking hair green because you're in Massachusetts, you know? Right. And that's so, why I don't have a real issue with the yeah. stoppage. Like, now, if Rob DeWalsh really wants to come out publicly and be like, oh, that's a bad stoppage, like, fine. fine. You're the teammate. Yeah. Go ahead. But Rob's a terrific I, friend. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't think the stoppage was bad. I think after that huge right hand O'Malley landed, I was like, okay, I think we've seen enough here. Yeah, dude, he uh, there was like twenty unanswered bombs. It's, yeah, I think so. Yeah. At some point, it was like at, at like some that, point, yeah. <laughs> some point, you got to do more than not get put unconscious to consider that intelligent defense. Yeah. Right. Um, but if Aljo had survived that, man, whew, interesting. KO no. of the year, enough for fighter of the year. It's not the KO of the year. Neither. It's neither. Yeah, fighter of the year. You're you're never gonna win fighter of the year with one fight. The only person who could maybe pull it off is John Jones. Maybe could have done it just by beating Cyril Gaon, but he's gonna fight Stipe. 
and probably win fight of the year as a result, um, which, you know, fine. Um, it's definitely not KO of the year. I, it It's going to take a fucking miracle to beat Izzy for KO of the year, given all of the surroundings of that. This is great. This is slightly damaged by not being like, if that was a clean faceplant KO, if Aljo did turf it on that shot, then we could have a real conversation because it's the way it went. It might make some people's top fives, but we've had a lot of incredible violence already this year and still almost half of the year to go. Cheeto just posted to to Twitter with a giant joint in his mouth, uh, fighting for a world title very soon. So my guess is they're already talking about this one. So, uh, oh, I mean, go. it's definitely happening. Yeah. I'd say yeah, if O'Malley I, yeah. comes and beats Cheeto, um, he'll be on fight of the year ballots for sure. Yep. I think we know the answer to this one, but we might as well just kind of talk about it a bit. <laughs> is Sean O'Malley a crossover star? Like with the boxing, I guess, in, in that well, sense. I, boxing, I, thought, I thought, oh, I thought, oh, I oh just everything. I, I was just kind of talking about just for people that don't, that don't, like people who don't even follow the sport know who Connor is. People who don't follow the sport know who Ronda is. Do people who yes. don't follow fighting, do they know who Sean O'Malley is? Yes. I don't think people who don't follow sports at all know who Sean O'Malley is, but people who just follow sports. Like, I, I got texts from people today being like, is O'Malley going to get gassed up tonight? Um, but they know who he is. And I'll tell you what, to, tomorrow people are, he, yes, tomorrow he is going to be known by a broader spectrum of fans than just MMA fans or even just sports fans. He, he's not Connor, but like, he's going to be the next best thing to Connor that we've had since like, he's going to be the best, the best star that MMA has had since Connor. I think that I think the part that maybe fans like is because he's going to be, he's the next biggest thing since Connor, yet he's not Connor. Like we get yeah. like that's I think that's the good part. Like we we've had we, this is new, this is new. So uh, I think that's like just cool. Yeah, dude, he's next. He's next gen Connor. He's Connor for the kids. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, he's um, a big gamer and all that stuff. So that that yeah, all that's gonna do is just help him. All the things. Gonna do great. Yep. Uh, you... So he's gonna fight Cheeto, and he's not gonna fight for like a year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how can Dana say he doesn't make fights on the night, but then say they reached out to Wonder Boy and he's turned down the Gary fight? <laughs> he just says anything that suits him at any time. So I had heard, I had heard like I some rumblings that if Ian beat Neil, that they were going to try to to book that one as a main event at the end of the year. So them reaching out to Wonderboy and offering it to him kind of on the spot is not surprising to me based on things that I had heard. But it didn't, like, this is not saying, like, this is a done deal or anything like that. But um, it just seemed like this is the direction the UFC was going to go with the reaction that Machado Gary this week. But, um, I mean, this is what Dana does, right? Yeah. Like, this is what he does. Yeah, uh, I don't care about Dana being like marginally hypocritical. It's whatever. I did notice it today. Uh, someone's got to get in his ear. Dude, just make fights on fight night. Like, it's fine. It's not one. It's not like we're holding you to any standards. The media does not hold you to any standards in general. But two, it would just be way a better view and news cycle and all things if you would like actually talk about what's going to be next for these fighters that just fought instead of the questions being hey 
What is your what's your take on this performance? Cool. What's gonna be next? Not gonna answer that. All right. Um. What about the Patriots? And what about these other things? Like, when are you coming back to China? Like, no. Just talk about the the only way you have to communicate about the fighters who just fought is your opinion of the performance and what is going to come next for them. Why can't you just, somebody can write you a memo sheet of here's sort of what we're thinking. We're not locked into this, but I'll tell you what, uh, I would love to watch a guy like Ian Machado Gary fight a Stephen Wonderboy Thompson or fight a thing. You know what? We're not, I'm not saying we're going to do it, but you're right. Doing, doing Wiley Zhang versus Zhang Zhanan in China it's incredibly big business for us. That's the sort of thing that we're really into. Why not have those conversations? Like it's, it's so dumb and such a waste of the time. I, I don't get it. If we can have Jan right there, cage side. I mean, I don't. It was it was odd, but um, this is what I thought. Was do you feel like? Just, oh, do Do you feel like? Because the one time he really did make fights after the fight was Colby, the whole Leon Colby thing, and that was in March. Oh. That was well, I mean, he, March, but he also did it in December with the light heavyweight title. <laughs> it's yeah, like because, that fight sucked. We booked a new light heavyweight title. Yeah, because they needed a main event for that card that yeah. was really hurting. But I guess my big question is: but if, that was dope. If, we came out of that being like, "This is news and great and interesting." Yeah. yeah. Oh no, certainly. So I guess my question in the fallout of this is that if Sean O'Malley really wants to fight Cheeto Vera in December, and Leon, if the, if what Colby has to say about John Jones being like, nah, dude, I ain't giving this dude the rub, which actually wouldn't surprise me based on some of the things these two have said about each other. Is Leon and Colby even going to happen this year? Like, do you feel like that fight's even going to happen this year? Or is that going to be pushed think, to next I, year now? I do not personally. I do not personally believe that fight's going to happen this year. Um, because I, it's, I don't know, feel like we'd have made some traction on it by now. That fight has been out there for what four months five months as the thing that was going to happen so i i don't know um yeah i i, I would i would guess that's not going to happen which means and also if you have to pick one of those two what do you think the ufc is going to think is better business it's going to be o'malley cheeto so they're going to pick that one over over doing leon colby yeah, which, I mean, which, to me, this is this just screams. We have to call John Jones and be like, if he really feels this way, just be like, dude, just you're gonna have to deal with it. Sorry, like these guys are fighting in the co-main event. That's it. You're just gonna have to deal with it. We'll put you at different pressers if we have to, but this is your co-main event, pal. We gotta do it. Yeah, yeah. I doubt John would really say no. It'd be fine. Yeah. Uh, UFC already uploaded the finish to YouTube. I don't think they've ever done this straight after a pay-per-view for a title fight. Are they actually promoting now uh, just only for O'Malley? So I will say this. The UFC is trying different things. Um, and you can see it on the broadcast. Oh, you think that's what this is? I mean, obviously that's an interesting it's O'Malley. <laughs> yeah. Our tr- no, I'm like, like, if you I, I hadn't even considered that as do... being like, they're just sort of trying it out. Yeah, that's what I think they're doing. I think they're trying it out. Uh, they're trying a lot of things out. I like the picture-picture stuff they're doing. Um, I kind of like the react, the fighter reactions. Like even just showing just the little nuances. Uh, Chris Weidman is fighting, and they just do a little picture-in-picture with Aljamain Sterling, just watching with bated breath his teammate about to lose to Brad Tavares and having an injured leg. Like 
these things are really cool. Uh, I like some of the, the new slow motion replays they're doing, the, the alternate angles of certain things that they're doing. Like the broadcast just seems like more fun. They're trying new things to see if they're going to work. And I think having a cell phone image of the finish and just throwing it up on the screen. I don't know if it's like the cell phone image of Dana's, you know, from Dana's social or if they show the actual finish. Just, the world knows broad, by the, now. The broadcast finish. They show they're, the broadcast shown, finish on YouTube. Yeah, the, I mean, they, they've pumped it on all, their, it they've pumped it on all their socials. I mean, they've been out yeah. with it. It's it's really good. Casey and I were talking about this in post. Like, I had not considered that this is them trying something, um, which would be cool if that's the case. I just sort of thought that um, the UFC are not fools, and they know that this is the moment to capitalize on the biggest thing that they can have. And so they are actually doing the promotional bit Maybe not in perpetuity for O'Malley, but this is the one. If you ha can only pick one, this is the one to do it. You want to get this out. You want this to be everywhere. You want the clip to be on Sports Center top ten tomorrow, running endlessly, endlessly, endlessly. You want to put him on Jimmy Kimmel and and Fallon and do all that stuff. And I think that that's what we're going to see. But I, it would be dope if this is just how they were going to move forward because it's much more reasonable. Yeah, and then we're not going to do this every single time. But moments like this, yes, like if they could redo. You know, at the time, putting the Leon Edwards head kick up there, I think with that lineup, mm -hmm. they, they, they probably they, should have done that yeah, as well. Izzy knockout, yeah. But um, Izzy knockout would have been another yeah, good just one. Just a big moment. So, yeah, I, a really actually, big I moment. So put him up. I, I slightly disagree. They're trying to do something different. I actually agree with this comment. They're actually promoting. That's all. This is actually promotion, mm -hmm. and I I know I understand why you're doing something different by actually promoting. And this is this is what you do. Right. Yeah, this is a, this is a this is this is the right move. This was the right move. Right. And and I think the actual like promotion for this card was really good. Dana is not, he's just not that guy anymore. He's still like the face of the company and people care what they have to say, but he's not that guy anymore. Like even, even at the press conference when, you know, I asked him about just being in Boston, the crowd was all fired up. It wasn't, I just want I, I don't know, like the, the way it was set up, I'm like, oh man, Dana's going to actually like get really excited here. It's like, no, we, we broke the gate record, good home. And I was like, oh, I thought you'd come up with something a little better than that, but that's just we what it is. Richer. I think the UFC under, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the UFC has really good, smart people working for them. And just because Dana is not the one promoting, it doesn't mean that they as a company cannot. Right. And yeah. they're doing a unless there's a power slap event the same week or the same month as a card is happening, they typically, they did a really good job of putting this card over this week. I thought. Yeah, man, I thought they did great. I thought, uh, it maybe got to me a little bit just because of the, the ubiquity of it, but the, the interstitials with, with, um, Sean O'Malley and his like commercial spots, like during the prelims and stuff, that's all good. And this is, I feel like we say it all the time. We've haven't been really like negative on the UFC tonight, which is great because I don't always want to bag on them. But like when people are asked the question, "Why are you mean to the UFC?" Mm. There are many moral reasons for that, but one of the biggest one is just at a fundamental level, I am aware of what they are capable of doing because I have seen it. This is it, like this two ninety one, two ninety, like that. That stretch of pay per views is like, hey, here's where what you should demand as a fan every time they're because they have the ability to do this. They just simply choose not to for most of it. And when they do great things happen, 290 and 291 were awesome events. And now this is 
I mean, this just rules. <laughs> like this, yeah. this event isn't the best, but the end result is awesome. Yep. And that's what people are going to remember. Before we um, go, I have a question for you gentlemen. Um, coming into the fight, where did you put – did you put consider um, Aljamain Sterling the bantamweight goat? Like where did you put him and where do you put him now? In I think I had the, him. the all-time bantamweights. I only – somebody brought this up a few weeks ago and I started diving into it, but I didn't really get all the way to a full answer. I think I'm still at Dominic Cruz. Um, I don't feel confident in that answer um, with Aljo at number two. And it was uh, somebody, and maybe it was uh, maybe it was AK. Somebody this week, and I for, sorry, I don't remember who, just sort of compared it to BJ being the goat lightweight, and it was sort of just a default one. Like um, his career is very important and and substantial, but probably didn't really have like the resume that demands goathood. Uh, certainly not in the case of other you know weight classes and i feel like that with dom like he's kind of the default because of various factors but this is still a division waiting on somebody to stand up and say yo i'm i'm him yeah to me it's if if we're if we're comparing the bantamweight division and its history to like the ending of a mario kart grand prix Aljamain Sterling is on the podium. Now, where you put him is is up to you. It could He's be one, it could be two, podium. it could be three. But he is on the podium. With Dominic Cruz, if you want to throw G. Dillish on that conversation, fine. Um, but he is one of the top two guys. And it's and yeah. even after tonight, he's still one of the top two guys. For sure. Yeah, th this doesn't knock him off off the podium for me. Everyone takes losses. His, his the, What he has previously accomplished is enough. So, But it's, you know... By the term greatest, it, it makes sense. But at the same time, we're talking, calling the saying that, hey, you're the greatest bantamweight alive and being like, and also Anderson Silva is the greatest middleweight alive. Those aren't, th those don't feel like the same greatness yeah. levels, you know? It's like there's there's a bit of a gap there in the term goat if yeah. we're comparing George St. Pierre and Dominic Cruz. I, I, and I just thought that was super interesting about bantamweight too. Um like you said, I'm the hipster, and I think I love bantamweight. So, but I think it's just because it's it's a division. I don't know if we're ever going to have a true hard division. You'll get one eventually, but yeah, divisions I'm, I'm are just, impossible. I'm, I'm wondering. Like this. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I mean, could be Umar. right now. Right now, like just <laughs> even thinking about it more, it's um, I'd say Aljo won for me, and C still won. His right, like, don't have if you want to put Cruz one, that's fine. But I just feel like. Sterling's UFC resume is better than Cruz's. It just is like the amount of names that he has beaten over all this time. And I understand Cruz had injuries, so he hasn't had as many fights as Sterling, but Sterling has fought everybody and beaten just about everybody in the process. Yeah. It's a tough if, run if, he's had, man. Really dude, strong. It's been a great run. If you pick Sterling, I, I'm not going to argue my my stance is I largely judge goatness and that based not on your overall resume, though I think some of that factors in, but it's your time at the top because I think that's the hardest and most meaningful part of it. And everyone's after I would you. say that <laughs> Cruz's time at the top is has, was better uh, comparative to his relative peers at the time. But if you want to pick Sterling, I got no beef with that. Yeah. It was supposed shocking. to be Jan. Piotr Jan was supposed to be the guy who was going to be the goat of this weight class. And MMA, MMA'd. Yep. <laughs> that one knee. 
yeah, I'm still I'm still of Dom as far as the goat, but that's not the hill I would die on. But I no, just, yeah, <laughs> no. But now this discussion becomes a little more interesting with yeah, Sterling there, and now the division. Like who knows? Like Sean O'Malley is going to is going to properly choose the big money fights, and if he can run off four or five title defenses, man, there are going to be people saying that he is the best if he has the record. It's going to happen. That's going to be a conversation that's going to be had. Will he be? Oh, my that's absolutely one? the case. Yeah, for sure. There's no chance he's running off four or five. And I'm, I feel like I've been higher on Sean O'Malley than most. And credit to him, uh, I believe. Um, who who posted this? Because um, I want to I want to remember who. Somebody put up the stat, and I'll find it in a second to give them their props. Uh, Sean O'Malley is the youngest UFC champion at this point. He's the only UFC champion under thirty. <laughs> so that's crazy. Uh, it's absolutely in- incredible for him to be there. <laughs> um, and that, so, you know, he has the opportunity to have that level of success, but Bantamweight's a, it's Bantamweight and Lightweight are divisions that people just aren't going to put together five wins at the top. It's just never going to happen. Yeah. I mean, this could be the beginning of the next gen making moves because Aaron Blanchfield's going to probably get a title shot sooner rather than later. She could be another one. I would pick her to beat either Alexa Grasso or Valentina Shevchenko right now. And there's there's others as well. So it's an interesting time. All right, Casey, you can hit the music. I think we have uh, we have done our part here. It is 4.14 a.m. Eastern time. So time to wrap this up. Uh, but in about five hours and 45 minutes, uh, we'll be back. AK will join me. We'll do some matchmaking. We'll have some fun. Talk about the fallout of this event and much more MMA hour on Monday with some special guest hosts. There'll be a lot more chatter about this, but thank you all for watching all the programming this week, checking out all the coverage this week. Shout out to Jose Young's boots on the ground. Dude works his ass off. Uh, so don't get it twisted in that respect at all. Uh, that's great. Thank you very much. He really does. He's so good. At he this. doesn't ask about the Patriots or, Hey, my buddy's really really good at fighting Dana are you thinking about signing him just just good professional questions Ecuador Ecuador come on tell me that was the best question Chino Vera got a dub and that man was like I need to know about Morales <laughs> okay Dana, Dana had no idea who that was he's yeah, like all right well me you know um, that you know that Chino just got the dub right feel like you could ask about that Ecuadorian <laughs> Okay. Fair enough. Go to sleep, everybody. Good night. <laughs> Love y'all. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.